Hello and welcome to Agony Aunt and Uncle. If you are watching on podcast or listening on podcast. <laughs> if you're um, watching on podcast, it's can, amazing. You can also watch us on video on our YouTube channel, The Sawala Adelies. Um, so this podcast, this podcast is all about really having non-professionals, mm. but we want you to think of us a bit like family, an aunt and uncle a mum and dad, a gran and granddad that you might pop in, have a cup of tea with and just run through a problem. Um, we try not to advise. What we try and do is just draw on our own experiences because to advise, I feel you need all sorts of credentials for that. What do you think? Well, you need, you need, ex- certificates. You need expertise. I've got a certificate, but I haven't got, any, I haven't got a certificate to kind of, you know, solve everything mm. for anyone. So this um, is like a problem page that you would see in a magazine. I, I would liken it more to like group therapy where your, your issues you share with us and we share our experiences and look for the similarities rather than the differences. Yeah. You know, like you see the problem pages on newspapers and magazines, you know, it's like that, but on video or podcast. Yeah. So let's kick off. And oh, this is anonymous. Um, and my heart ached a lot when I read this. Um, because I know some of the background, because I haven't, and because I've cut some of it out. Um, but my heart aches. And I think there's so many people that, won't have this exact experience or problem, but something around this. And like Mark says, the great thing is to always listen for the similarities and not the differences. Mm. And then it, then anything that we say would be relevant to so many more people if you think like that. So I'm an only child like you, Mark, and my parents have always pushed me to be independent right since a child. They always said they didn't want me to stay attached to them, but in a loving way. My dad is paraplegic, um, but he's always lived a full and independent life, worked, drove a car, etc. My mum has been through her own hell and back with her own health problems. So they decided uh, that if anything should happen to them, they don't want CPR, etc., as they feel they've already had a second chance at life. This is very difficult for me. I know they wouldn't want me to be a burden. I know they wouldn't want to be a burden, uh, inverted commas. And my dad has always been very clear. When no one's looking, just pull the plug, which we've joked about over the years. And I totally understand this. It happens to all of us. Watching parents getting older, witnessing changes in life routine, we all handle change differently, especially in retirement. Some thrive and some don't. I've seen a big change in my dad. He's closed down and I can't find a way to turn the key and reignite the engine. It's beautifully put that. Mm. I've tried several ways of approaching him, trying to encourage his interests, etc. After the lockdown, mum and I had to have a talk about him driving. Such a difficult thing that, isn't it? As we just knew it was time for dad not to drive anymore. I feel his independence has now been taken away from him. He can't go out without my mum anymore and has lost his confidence. If I try and help or get involved in any way, he gets really angry with me. And he's never been angry in my whole life. I know he doesn't mean it. It's just built up frustration, but I don't think he sees it from my point of view. I'm not interfering. I just want to help. But he won't accept that. 
I'm still his child. Last year we had a terrible argument and he said he doesn't want to live anymore. Oh, how painful for you. I'm finding this so hard. Sorry, it makes me feel quite emotional, mm -hmm. but so difficult. And no one really understands. I love him so much. He's the most important person to me. But we all want to be there for our parents, whatever happens, and help and support. That is unconditional love. I want my parents to be happy, especially now. But I can see they are struggling and they don't want to talk about it. I often question myself and know I should be doing more. I just don't know what. It never bothered me being an only child, but now I wish I had someone who understood mm. and was with me right now. Any mm. advice would be fully embraced. Mm. Well, wow. as we said, we, we don't give advice, but first of all, I can see from Mark as well, just our hearts are aching for you. And this is just so huge, isn't it? Because your dad, being an only child and your dad being so successful through his life, in spite of these incredible physical challenges that he's had, I can imagine must only deepen your love and respect and admiration for him. Um, but clearly, I mean, as you say, to, for any older person to have their car taken away, the driving subject is such a difficult one. We've done this a number of times on Loose Women, actually, how painful it is to have that conversation. In fact, there was a whole series years ago dedicated to this. Yeah, we talked about it on Coffee Moaning yeah. after the Dick Van Dyke story. Because it's such a big thing, and that mm. independence is taken away. Mm. So that, multiplied by a million because you're in a wheelchair, the impact is going to be huge. It sounds like he's depressed, and it from your letter, it sounds like it's really looking like he's given up. And this is so difficult because you also, I think you articulate that very well, that he's, it's coming out in anger because he's wanting to push away the conversation, push away the people that love him so he doesn't have to deal with these really difficult emotions, which I suspect all through his life, he's had to hide a lot of when he's felt down. To be in a wheelchair is incredibly mm. difficult. Um, I think this is so, such a beautifully written letter. And I, I would suggest, personally, I think if I were you, I would write to him. I would write to him and then wait. Don't ask for a reply. Don't expect a reply because sometimes it's the hope and the waiting that can kill us. But I think if you wrote from your real, real heart, because it sounds like you have a beautiful relationship he's going to have to say something to you, even if it is just, listen, I love you, I'm sorry I've been angry with you, but I really have had enough of this mortal world. You know, if he, or, you have no idea how he might respond to this, but I, I, what I'm hearing is that you're wanting some kind of response. You're wanting some kind of dialogue, some kind of communication, and that it's agony not having that. That's what it sounds like to me. What, what do you think, Mark? Um, I can't remember. Is is her, the person's father with their mother? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think. I think what you've said is true. I think what you've said is is good advice. 
I think, I mean, all of us in some way are dealing with parents who are getting older or are going to pass away or, you know, um, are getting frailer and what have you. I mean, if I think about my set of circumstances, I think the, the part of what you say that really, really resonates for me is the being an only child as well, because the entire responsibility falls to you and you've got no one to share that burden with. I mean, maybe you have a partner, maybe you have friends, but even a partner and friends can only take the weight of that so much. Generally as well, what I've noticed is, I mean, like for instance, in our situation, you know, I can see my mother getting frailer and older and I can see her world getting smaller. And at the same time, Nadia's parents, likewise, you know, a similar things happening where, you know, people are getting older. It's like my nan said, you know, when, when she got to 93, she said, however you look at it, Marky, I'm terminal. And I think we never talk about, and I don't think we entertain, um, and I'm not really wanting to troubleshoot here because I think this is a, this is kind of like a rites of passage thing. I think writing a letter is a really good idea because I think writing a letter in this world is quite a stark difference to the ways in which we communicate generally, which is either digitally, uh, by email, or, in, or, or even verbally. I think, you know, a written letter allows you, the person, to reflect on what you've said, to reread what you've said, and in a conversation, you can lose, especially when you're older, you can lose sight of what the intention was or even what the advice might be in, in, in what you've said. So writing it, I think, is a really good idea. That said, I think there's something that's really not talked about, and my mother's talked about this. Um, I don't know if your parents have so much, but it's... And, and, and the difference here is that your parents are together. So my worry, and I'm saying this because I share... I, I, you know, I, I identify with what you're saying, is that as my mum gets older and as she gets frailer... She has bouts of depression. She has bouts of loneliness. Obviously, I do and we do as much as we can within a busy family and what have you. But of course, thoughts move towards what's going to happen as her world closes down more, as she sort of curtails her horizons and what she thinks she can do. It happened to my nan. She started to not go here, not go there. And literally, the world gets smaller. And what I've noticed with each of them, which drives has driven me, not mad in a kind of angry way, but to distraction in a heartbreaking way. I mean, I even had this conversation with my mum when she was here at the weekend. No amount of advice that one can give, you can't make them embrace it. No. You can't make someone change. And I, this is a curious comparison because I remember my dearest friend Jim was 63 when he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And I remember visiting him. And the reason I'm using this is 63 isn't old, but he was given... A terminal, you know, he was given a, a dramatic diagnosis. And I remember the last time I saw him, I went into his flat and he was at the table and I was sitting and I was talking to him. I knew, I knew he was ill and he started to cry and I put my arms around him and I said, please, Jim, don't give up. And as I walked down the hall, he said, let yourself out. I remember looking back at him and I thought he's given up. And, you know, there, there, there's a tragic inevitability to what's happening and I think in some regards we have to somehow find a balance between respecting where these elderly parents are at however tough that is for us respecting it 
and at the same time it's heartbreaking so in a weird way this is there may be a way of turning around what your father's doing into he's trying to prepare you as much as he's sort of feeling depressed not wanting to be here not wanting to be revived all that all that stuff but in a weird way what he's forcing you to experience, which is what we went through with my nan, though she wasn't conscious of this, was it's almost a test run. And that's tragic, and that's sad, and that's distressing, and that's everything it is. But maybe just spin it on its top and, and, and think, is this going to end up being some kind of gift that he's giving me? A sort of... An ability to sort of come let to go. terms with it mm. and let go across a period of time. Because, the, I mean, there's a number of other things as well. Generationally, we're so different, aren't we? Mm. That generation don't want to talk about their feelings. So I think that's another mm. reason, you know, and that's why I say don't expect anything back. But he would have read it and he would have read how you feel. And also, I think what Mark is also saying that maybe it is a time where you have to start the long road of acceptance. Mm. Our parents aren't going to live forever. You know, I I think we we try and hold off, don't we? So I don't know how old your parents are, but, you know, my dad's 89 and I have the conversation with myself all the time now about when he goes and I have the conversation with myself about CPR and all these things and, you know, we are... We're just growing up in a time where we just find it so difficult to accept mm, mm. because of medical science and because of everything. But like Mark says, those our elderly people are in a different place mm. than we are now. They're just so finding that acceptance if it's truly what he wants is going to be your journey, isn't it? And I think if you send him a letter, the letter is about how much you love him. Your letter is about could be about how you sorry that you argued, that you understand that he's that's struggling, that, you know, you want to clear that path and that you would want, you're going to respect whatever his wishes are. Because I think that's the other really difficult thing with yeah, old yeah, people, yeah, isn't it? Totally Everybody agree. goes, well, no, that's not what you want. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. you want to live forever. Oh, no, you don't. And I would hate that. Because he, you know, he's obviously fiercely independent, and to be able to live his life in the way he has with his challenges, you know, he's, he's not about to just do what somebody else tells him now, mm. is he? But for you and for all of us, we're all struggling with the idea that we're going to have to accept that our parents are not going to always be here. And just a final thought I think there has to be an, an element of acceptance and respect given to the existential depression that older people get towards the end of their lives. It's um, a closing down. It's a closing down. It and, and, and the only way one can do that a little bit more manageably is to think about how you're, you'd feel or how you're going to feel. And I remember a small example, and, we'll, and then we'll move on, um, was my nan who would only sustain herself on a packet of minstrels and a packet of Walker's Bad Ready crisps. Salted Crisps. So and I remember really, Nadia would urge her to eat more healthily. I would urge her, her iron levels would go down, all this kind of stuff. And then there comes a point where you go, why it's the what hell she not? she wants to do, yeah. Why the hell not? Do what she wants. And I wonder also whether with your father you could, if things have closed down like the driving, get him in a car and remind him that you can still enjoy the things that he enjoyed from driving. You know, mm. I mean, obviously that depends on whether you have the freedom to well, do that. Well, she said, didn't she? She's tried to reignite, take him yeah, out, do yeah, hobbies, no, but he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to know. Yeah, yeah. 
Tough. Oh, sweetheart, big, Sending big hug love. to you and mm. big hugs to everybody that is dealing with this stage of life mm. because often we're bringing up children at the same time and it's just, it's it can be exhausting. Absolutely. So big, big hug to you. Um, I've got one here, um, anonymous again. I have a 30-year relationship. We've been together since the age of 14. We have an adult son. I've just been feeling lately he has never cared about my welfare recently. I've had an allergy to antibiotic cream he used on his face, had a terrible reaction in my throat causing tightness. I've asked him to clean the home to eliminate traces of the cream around the home via touch. He only did minor cleaning under the utter annoyance and five, under utter annoyance and five months later I'm still suffering. When I look back he's never cared about my suffering, not helping me feed myself after wisdom tooth removal, not after an ectopic pregnancy. How can I face old age with someone who I, won't, who I know won't take care of my basic needs? as going forward, I lose my parents' support to old age. Oh, wow, um, wow. It's, it's, I know somebody that has a list as long as her arm of all the times she felt her husband wasn't there for her. I remember her saying to me once that she was being sick, she was actually throwing up on the floor and he stepped over to go what? out. <laughs> Joking. Yeah. So, and he is just a very, very, very selfish man, you know. And for me, there's no grey area there. I, mm. I've been listening for years, and I and I know what the situation is. And actually, I felt this friend of mine should have left him years ago. If I'm honest, never said that, but that's what I think. Um, of course, this is very, very difficult because we don't know your whole mm. situation. Is all of these sound like medical things? And I don't know whether you've had a lot of medical situations and whether this is somebody over a period of years feeling worn down by that and, you know, not paying the attention that he might have done before. Or is this somebody that in every way has never shown you that he's, that he's, you know, you say he never had the best interest in, in at at his heart. But yeah. sometimes when we're in our anger or we're in our upset straight after something and you've just been through this allergic reaction, which is really debilitating. I've had big mm. allergic reactions and, and they're really, really exhausting and upsetting and often people don't realize that because it doesn't look that bad but I mean when I when my skin goes crazy with allergy I'm just so on the edge of my nerves and probably not very nice to be around and probably not really saying how bad it feels so I'm just being mindful of all of those in case it's anything like that where maybe you're being a bit more stoic and you're wanting him to pick up that you need a bit more help and a bit more understanding. You know, did you just hint that you would like him to clear it up or were you very, very, um, very clear that you needed him to clear ev clean everything in case there was any residue of this antibiotic cream? So I'm just putting that out there first, thinking about myself and how I can be a bit sort of reluctant to say that I need somebody and then feel put out that they didn't do stuff for me. So maybe, first of all, really interrogate that. Is there anywhere where maybe you've been um, unclear and 
do you lean on him a lot and these are extra things that he hasn't done for you um and if that's the case then maybe you could sit and you could say to him listen i know that sometimes i've been a bit much or sometimes i haven't reached out but actually i don't tell you and sometimes it comes across with me being angry but actually i'm actually quite hurt dig deep into how you actually feel and then try being really honest to him that's one scenario other scenario is if he make, has truly can i just chip in yeah i mean one of the things just bearing in mind what you've just said i think that's a really important point that um I'm not suggesting for a minute that if you've gone through many ailments that they're not justified or that they're not real or anything like that. But I do think that sometimes in a relationship, if, if there are constant or repetitive kind of conditions or situations that develop, through no real, you know, for no real reason other than maybe exhaustion or fear, you know, weariness. The, well, also fear. I think this is really important. This is the point I wanted to make. I think men deal with their partners being unwell in quite different ways. I can think of instances where this has happened between us, where it can come across as uncaring, but what's actually happening is, is panic and fear and not wanting to face the possibility that your partner is vulnerable or ill. It presents as almost a sort of irascibility and a kind of irritability. And actually, it's not. And, you know, I've had to sometimes check that and go, hang on a minute, this isn't serving, this, you know, this isn't serving you well because I'm just getting caught up in fear rather than actually getting caught up. So what might be happening is where you feel he's not being attentive or concerned or caring, he might be wanting to turn away somewhat because he doesn't want to face the possibility of you being really really ill or struggling a lot or what have you it could be i think and it, i'll bounce back to you obviously now is it, it could be that he's just deeply being deeply yeah. selfish and then the other side and there'll be somewhere in between in the middle of this as well but it, the other side is you know is he somebody that is just routinely selfish mm. with everyone and everything does he only think of himself does he never in any other way support you. I mean, I'm going to be honest, my dad is absolutely awful and has been through my mum's, enti their entire marriage. If my mum is ill, it's just irrelevant. But every single thing that my dad goes through, we all have to dissect mm. it and mm. give so much attention to it. Same as my granddad. But he just yeah. doesn't see any illness that my mum mm. has. She went off on her own to give birth, you know, she did, and, and that's, that's just his way. But he is amazing in loads of other ways. Mark isn't good with illness um, in the same way that I am if he's ill, but he's amazing in lots of other ways and we can't all be brilliant But that doesn't mean everything. I don't care. No, it doesn't no, mean no. you don't care, but it's not something you're not... I deal, with, I deal with it badly. Yeah, so, so here there's quite a lot of answer in this because there's lots of different, you know, scenarios. But if he is just truly selfish and you've had an entire relationship of never feeling that he's there for you, and you are looking ahead to possibly years and years of more of this, and that is unbearable to you, if a thought of life with him is harder than a thought of life without him, then that's a whole different conversation that you have to really think about. But. We always say, you know, we've done a marriage podcast for years. We've been to marriage guidance counselling and it doesn't matter how many marriage guidance counsellors you go to, it is always about, are you communicating your needs to the person? Are you 
is your partner hearing you? Because people can act listening to you. Mm, yes, yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to change that. Mm, yeah. But they're not actually really hearing what you're really trying to say. So, you know, that might be an approach. You might, you might say, I, I, you know, I'm feeling all these things. And then if you don't feel he's responding to it, say, but have you really heard what I'm trying to say? I mean, one of the other problems that I, I sense through some of the things you've talked about here, the eptopic, eptopic pregnancy, for example. I mean, mm, you know, there are some men, and I'm going to say men, I'm going to be, gen you know, general at the moment. There are some men who are so resistant to any form of conversation, self-reflection, acknowledgement, you know, a willingness to admit that they haven't been right or that mm. they're being insensitive and all this kind of stuff. The idea of even suggesting to him that you perhaps have some kind of therapeutic help, that you perhaps go into some kind of counselling, or that you even you don't even have to go that far. You know, I don't want us to always seem to seem like we're suggesting you go into therapy. A, it's unaffordable, and B, it's you know, it, it's a different finding a world. good one is and hard. Finding a good one is hard. But the best kind of therapy can be just sitting down and trying to talk to each other. But it might be that if he's so selfish he won't even talk about it, I think as Nadia says, you're, you're tipping into what's the actual health of this relationship and the longevity of it, you know, obviously given that you've got a son, 14-year-old son, etc., you know, that's what you need to begin to examine. And I think the way you put it was perfect, you know, if, and if the thought of staying with, staying with him is worse than the thought of not being with him, then is that right? And, and sometimes, you know, the thing is, if, if one might have to decide... Well, this is, this is pretty unbearable because mm. I keep hoping it's going to be better. And, even, and you might not necessarily want to separate or divorce, but you might have to rethink the expectations of your relationship so mm. that you're not in a constant state of feeling let down. Mm. You know, it might be that you say, listen, I've tried everything to reach out to you. We've had all these conversations. We've had the dialogue. I still don't feel heard. Obviously, you know, I don't want us to separate, but we've got to find a different way to live together because mm. that, that can be another option. People always rush to, like, oh, I've got to leave or... But I would, I, you know, we, we've talked about this before and actually I saw one of the relationships counsellors on uh, Married First Sight Australia giving this advice again on, on Instagram, it was, because mm. every relationship counsellor gives this advice. And it is, you set a timer for whatever you can bear, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, and you let the one person speak and you do not interrupt in any way whatsoever and you just sit and you just listen. And it doesn't have to be a to and fro. Mm. So Mark might talk to me about how unhappy he was about something and then I might talk about something that I was happy about it doesn't have to be crossfire situation. Yeah. And that can be the real beginning of communicating. You can just make it one minute to begin with. But I would genuinely say that if he's unwilling to even do that, there are you are in a situation where I think you need to really think about... New ground rules. Well, Give me new, a list. New ground, new ground rules, but also, you know, the health, the health of this relationship. Because you're right, you know, who wants to look at their old age thinking I'm just going to be sustaining myself throughout? I mean, that is a bleak possibility. Yeah. So. And so whether you decide that you can't stay or whether mm. you decide that you're going to stay and you're going to rethink how you manage to live together mm. and you spend more time with friends and you spend, you know, there's lots of different options here. But first of all, interrogate. Have you really asked? Do you really know what you want? 
Because first of all, you have to know what you want to be able to ask for it. So often, it, I, when I say to friends of mine, when they say, I said, what do you want? And they say, mm. oh, I don't know. <laughs> we forget to ask ourselves what we want, but we're annoyed that we haven't got something, but we don't know what it is. That's a really good point. Final thing I want to say about this is, you know, also maybe ask yourself, because I think this can happen in relationships in lots of different areas of a relationship, is there any part of how, say, your, your situations or your illnesses present, and I'm only going to use this as a small example, is that I find Nadia far less approachable sometimes when you're vulnerable. You put up quite a huge barrier. You put up a sort of, there's a sort of ready brick glow of, don't, because you're worried someone's going to pity you, and that's not the case at all. I mean, you try and work on it, but there's an aspect to you that says no holding at arm's length. You know, all I'm saying is, is perhaps interrogate also, how do you present to him when you are feeling ill or vulnerable? Because there could be an aspect of it where you're holding at arm's length, not in order to have the grievance, but you're holding at arm's length and you're feeling the grievance, but actually there is a part in you that's also doing the same yeah. thing. Because we bring our childhoods to our relationships. You know, we do. So, you know, that's another thing you could think about. You know, how, how was I treated when I wasn't well, when I was a child? How did I respond? How did I respond? How did I reach out if mm. I wasn't? And you, you so often when you ask these questions, you can see the pattern. I know what, where my pattern comes from. I know my pattern comes from, you know, we grew up in the 70s and everything was like, oh, what are you crying? You know, mm. it would just be nans, aunties, mum would be, put yourself together, what are you crying for? So I took that very seriously. So I would always go and hide upstairs if I had to cry. I wouldn't cry in front of people. And I still find that difficult. Mm. Not so much these days, really. Um, so I, I can track it back. Nothing was meant by those people bringing me up. It was just a different time. But we're in a world now where we talk about everything, where we see on social media, everyone having these amazing relationships where they're sharing and caring. And a lot of that's bullshit. Mm. A lot of that's just the pretty bits, you know? So we can f end up feeling more and more and more inadequate. Um, or we can feel more and more inadequate within our relationships. So, so much for you to think about there. Mm, mm, it's a lot. Mm. But I would say both Mark and I there are, I can see both of us are rooting around our own similarities mm. here with what we're hearing with you and how we've sort of crunched our way through them, either with professional help or just sheer stubbornness, like mm. that we're going to work it out. But I, I wish you well. And yeah. I hope whatever happens, that you are able to communicate something mm the two of you, as, as to the way that you feel mm. moving forward. Okay, so we've got our last one here. Um, uh, <laughs> be, be aware, beware, TMI alert. Uh, I am a woman that has always waxed down there. It was never a problem with all my previous boyfriends. They would all say how much they preferred this. But now, sigh, deep breath. I have met a man I see as my potential husband. One night when we were going to finally have sex after numerous dates, he was shocked when he saw me down there. He said, let's not go all the way tonight. And long story short, he later told me he wasn't turned on by women who didn't have hair down there and that he felt it, it looks pre-puberty. I do not want to grow my hair, but for him, I will, because I do not want to lose him. My question is, Will waxing give in to what turns him on? Make me look weak in his eyes. Thank you, Agony, aunt and uncle, and my thanks to your daughters for allowing you both to share your precious wisdom with us. Oh, what a lovely Aww, thing to say. Precious. So, sorry, um, can I just clarify what the question was? Is, is 
If she will wasn't it, to wax, will it? No, the, que the question is, will it make her look weak to him in his eyes? If she does what he wants. If, he now, if she now does what he wants. Right, OK. There is so much to this question. Wow. First of all, can I just say, I love him. I love him for saying that. Because I am a bring, that, bring back bush girl. I do not understand where this has all got messed up. Where women believe that um, being totally hairless is the way that we're supposed to be. I believe very, very strongly, I've said this lots of times on Loose Women, I think we've been dictated to by that, by the porn industry. I think that we know, uh, gynaecologists, everyone will tell you that it is not cleaner to not have hair. And in fact, hair gives our vaginas protection. So all that said, I also understand that it has become fashion and and for many people, I was talking to somebody just an hour ago about it that popped round, and because I, I know that she waxes completely, and I said, "What? What is it?" And she said, "Well, I just really like it." I was going to say, "Is it not just the norm?" Well, it, with a certain generation, yeah, I, I just really like it, and and I and I know I have to respect that because everyone has their preferences. This is what I would ask you to do. Drill into where you think, why you think you initially started waxing and taking all the hair from there. Because I suspect, I could be wrong, that this was fed to you by some outer side source. Because I don't think we're born and we grow and then we go, oh my God, we really shouldn't have this hair on our vagina. Let's take it off. We're told that by outside sources. And I, too, think it looks prepubescent. I think it's weird. I, I would find it a turn-off if a man asked me to take my hair off. It would be... I mean, if you're doing it for a bit of fun, you've been in a relationship, well, let's see what it's like. That's different. But if it was a game-changer for me with a man, I would find that really difficult. Well, a game changer for the man if the man wanted you to be. So, oh, I just wouldn't be able to unless you, had, unless you had no hair. But in a way, this is what he's saying. He's saying that. Mm. But because I agree with the hair, I'm agreeing with well, him. The, well, this, this... So, what's the politics on it? Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, in a weird way, the dilemma here is less. It's about hair or no hair, but it's also about relinquishing control to the desires of a man. Or not. Mm, but that's and what I'm what, saying, and what, originally. And what, and what you're saying is that the n not having hair down there is a societal dictating by men mm. uh, and women who've been dictated to by men. But, and I think there's a big but here, and I think it's really important, and the reason I said, oh, but it's become the norm. I don't think, I think it's easy for us from a different generation mm. where there wasn't this trend or there wasn't this exactly. tendency to do this. And in pornography, there wasn't the tend tendency to do this in pornography at all. I mean, all the porn, not that there was a lot, but the porn that I remember in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, there was always hair. There was always mm. hair. Um, and so I do agree with you. I think that the development this, of this is all about, make, for some reason, making sex about it having to be with someone who's younger, who looks younger and is younger. I've never understood, for example, never, never did understand how... Uh, say a paper like the sun could get up in arms about 
as they should do, about a story in which a, a predatory man has done something awful to a teenager. And yet, page three, the thing that would make it more arresting, they thought, was the closer to 18 or 16. They put mm. the age there. And I always mm. found that the most curious aspect of page three and the most discomforting was they really want to get this mm. as close as they can to mm. being as young as possible, age. which in and of to itself is bait. really strange. Mm. So I'm in a situation likewise where I'm with you, your partner or the, the, the man that you're talking about. I find it really, um, a, a, personally, I'm only saying personally, I would find it a real turn-off. I would find it sad in a way that the person I loved felt they had to do this. But, but it's really important that we do recognise, again, this is because we're from a different generation. Yeah. And so there'll be many people listening to this that go, sad, what are you talking about? It feels nice, I love yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it absolutely. I can put on whatever I want. We do get that, we do understand that. But this is the very rare occasion, because I'm always a woman's woman, right? I can just, I'm seeing it from your fella's point of view. But... But what about this choice thing? But this choice thing, mm. I think, is really interesting. Mm. And I would have a real problem with it. Oh, this would be a dilemma for me, too. So, how about... In this, in this letter to us, you say he's husband potential. You know, that means there's loads of brilliant qualities to him here, right? I'm assuming. There's loads here you love about him. I would say that if you... If you having no hair is more important than having him, maybe he's not the person for you. But I do think there's a way to do this, and I think it would be like this, if I were you. I think I would say, you know what? I do actually really like having no hair. Mm. Um, I don't know where that comes from. It might have been that I'm dictated to. It might just that I like the feel of it. Mm. And, you know, and that's my right. But I can see that that really meant a lot for you. And because I have really genuine feelings for you, when I weigh it all up, it's not the most important thing in the world to me. And that way you have acknowledged him you have begun a, a relationship where there is compromise because the thing is compromise can sometimes be confusing and we feel like are we being weak are we giving mm. up ourselves mm. but i think if you if you said it a bit like that something like that obviously with your own thing then then it's an empowering thing because you you're not going oh god right i'll take my hair out no no i've really had to think about this actually mm. and yeah that's fair enough. And oh, I'm being kind of, maybe I'm being classic bloke here. Is there not a sort of halfway house? <laughs> Is there, no, no. I mean, you know, we hear, men hear of these things. Brazilians, landing strips, all these kind of phrases that they use. Is there not a halfway house so that you feel you're sort of still mm. in control of some aspect of your sort of, you know, genitalia, for want of a better expression, but you've made a gesture Towards... I think we could have gone with hair. I don't think we need to go to chips. <laughs> no, um, but you're you, but you're making a sort of a gesture towards yes. your, your partner. So that might be one thing. Yeah, because you could say. So what is it? Is it that you hate? Yeah. Is it that you like a big curly bush, 
Or is it that you just hate the idea of no hair? Maybe we could think, because I'm telling you one thing, I'm not showing my hair in my bikini. You know, there is a, this is about compromise. What's the compromise? And also, I did, I did want to ask, because this could... What I'm about to ask you, Nadia, is could there be a kernel of confusion in this? Because trends change. You, for instance, would never grow your armpit hair. I would. Would you? But well, you, know, you never I, have. I've hardly got any armpit hair. But you would, do you currently shave your armpits? Yeah, but I've never had thick hair. Have you, ever, have you always shaved your armpits? Yes, yeah. But because I'm dictated to by society. I was going to say, is but, that... But not now. I, 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 I love it when I see hair Do you armpits. shave your legs? Yes. Is that dictated to you by society? It is, because I, I actually don't like mm. my... Because I've got dark hair, I don't like the look of it. Right, OK, I'm, 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 I suppose no, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm floating these thoughts out insofar yeah. as, you know, I don't think Nadia's sitting here sort of pretending that she's kind of this sort of, you know, this is all it is, dictated. We're all dictated to by society and by culture and what have you. I mean, I find it repulsive when I see men with no hair around. And Down yet there. all the young people I talk mm. to say, oh, they couldn't bear the thought of their man having any hair there. Really? But it, it well, just looks horrible. But this is my preference. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the problem is, if you suddenly came back with a totally waxed area around that, I would be just like, and I can't help that because right. that's what I, I, I just, I just wouldn't be able to help that. Mm. And I think that's why, again, why I'm sympathising mm. with this chap. Whereas you, um, sorry, you're anonymous. Whereas you, you're not the one that's looking at it and being turned off. Mm. If you were to grow your hair, would that turn you off? Mm. And it's not like you said, oh, your boobs are too small, that's a turn off. Oh, your bum's not big enough, that's a turn off. That's something completely mm. different and that would need a much bigger, deeper conversation. I think this is about, he's making the connection prepubescent. He's, he's, it's childlike to him and then that freaks him out. Well, and the I, sexual and I, connotation and of I the child. I can totally understand so that. that is totally different. Mm. If he was saying to you, can you have a boob job? I'd be having a very different conversation. <laughs> yeah, and I think finally, going back to this idea, are you kind of handing over the power to him if you move towards his preference? I mean, I suppose the only reason I'm sharing that I don't like it too is that in saying that, I wouldn't be demanding of the person that they compromise their sort of personality well, and their freedom. Well, she hasn't said that he said that. No, 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 but yeah. he's mentioned it. And, but I would, I would find it really difficult because there's no two ways about it. You know, without hair there, it, for me, it does look prepubescent. So I suppose all I'm trying to say is I would be in tandem. I'd be walking in tandem with your, with your partner, with, with this gentleman, and... He's not, it's not he's not necessarily coming from a position of wanting to have power, I think. That's what yeah. I'm trying to say. I mean, the thing is, we don't know how he said this to mm, you. No, of course. Because, of course, tone is everything. And if he's gone, ugh, I'm yeah. not turned on by it, that would be a very different thing. Mm, totally. But if after a long conversation, Good he's point. sort of reluctantly mm. said, it's just like, I just find it, mm. that's a different thing. But mm. believe you me, if he went, ugh, no, sorry, that doesn't turn me on. Kick him to the curb. Very different conversation. <laughs> well, I don't think we can be as extreme with that, but that would be a red flag to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally agree. I mean, you know, we've been quite out there with our with our answer there, but I, I feel like you wanted a very, yeah, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I am on both of your sides here. Mm. And hopefully we've given you a way, we've given you all the different ways you could do it. Because you could also say, sorry, love, you're out the door. I'm not going airy for anyone.
And it's a brilliant dilemma because it's a very, I can see why it's a very real dilemma. Yeah. So thank you for kind of contacting us with that. Yeah. One. yeah. Thank you to everybody. Yes, it is a huge honour to us. Mm, privilege. That we, and a privilege that you share these really difficult, challenging moments with us and trust us mm. to pour over it and, mm. and, and, you know, think about it and, and, and share our thoughts on it. Um, and, you know, a number of you have sent us really beautiful emails in, in thanking us for our responses. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, we do shed a tear when we read them because we just can't believe that we're in this unbelievable position where sometimes we help people feel a wee bit better, which is a lovely thing. Yeah. So thank you. And as I say, if you want to um, listen to us on podcast, you can. And if you're listening to us on podcast, you want to have a look at us, head over to our YouTube channel. Because on our YouTube channel... We do loads of stuff. We do movie reviews, TV reviews, movie reactions, gardening, cooking. And every Monday right through to Saturday, we do something called Coffee Moaning, where Mark and I go over the paper, no, go over the news. I don't do the papers, he does the papers on Saturday. Go through the news, have a jolly jape with mm. you. And um, yeah, got loads of things going on. So there I hope go, to see guys. you on the channel. Bye. Bye.